you have your Bible, open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to gather together as your people to worship your son. And Lord, I ask that you would be with me as I preach your word, that it would go forth and accomplish exactly what you would have it to accomplish. Father, would you do a work in us beginning with me to make us to be parents and people who honor you in all that we do, in all that we say, and in all that we think. Father, would you help me to preach your word faithfully and clearly this morning? And by the power of your spirit, would you apply it to us to make us become more like your son, Jesus? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We live in a culture that views children as a burden. Our culture does all that it can to postpone having children, to seek every opportunity for methods and modes for parents to abdicate their role as parents and designs pathways for parents to rid themselves of the so-called burden of children. Our culture's view of children and of parenting is disastrous, deadly, and disappointing. What we need for today is not for kids to remain kids well into their 20s and 30s, but we need for kids to be trained to become adults and for adults to have children and for those adults to train their children to become adults. And all of that is so that we would worship God as His design is planned for us to worship Him. And as the church, we do not consider children to be a burden, but to be a blessing. To be a blessing, to be a gift that God has given us. In James chapter 1, verse 17, we're going through the book of James and we've not yet gotten to verse 17 yet. But in James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For we know that all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so this God who is never changing gives us good and perfect gifts. And one of those gifts is children. And sometimes, as parents, it doesn't feel like having kids is such a good and perfect gift. Sometimes it can feel like having children and raising children is a burden. But we affirm as Bible-believing Christians that children are not a burden. That children are a blessing. And so, rather than planning on how to rid ourselves of the so-called burden of children, by and through the help of such evil entities as Planned Parenthood and uh, trying to convince children to remain children well into their 20s and 30s, we want to preach this morning not on Planned Parenthood, but on Planted Parenthood. On being parents who are firmly rooted in the Word of God. On being parents who love the Word of God. And in loving the Word of God, we love it so much, we love our children so much that we will teach our children the ways of God. So I want to look at just two simple points this morning. First, how did we get here? How did we get to the place that we are right now in our culture? 
What led us to to this? And secondly, how do we get healthy? How do we get biblically healthy in our parenting? If we look here in Ephesians chapter one verses or Ephesians chapter six verses one through three, Paul assumes several things here as he spends the first three chapters of Ephesians telling us how we get saved. He tells us what it looks like to, to be saved. He then spends the remaining three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, telling us how to live as those who have been saved. And so here at the end of his uh, dissertation, his teaching on what it looks like to live as a blood-bought believer, he tells us what it looks like to live as Christians who are parents. And he assumes several things. First, in speaking of the relationship between a parent and a child, Paul assumes, as he commands children to obey their parents, he assumes that children need to have authority in their life. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children. So Paul is speaking clearly to all children, to all young ones who live under the guardianship of their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. The word that Paul uses here for obey assumes that the child submits to the parent, living under the authority of the parent. In order for the child to submit to his or her parent, the parent must wield authority. And today, so many, of, so many of our children in our communities cannot obey this commandment to obey their parents because their parents aren't worth obeying, because their parents don't wield authority that God has given them and instead allow their children to be their own entity, to be their own authority. But what Paul assumes here in his Holy Spirit-inspired writing in Ephesians chapter 6 is that children are to obey their parents. And in order for children to obey, parents must teach. Parents must have authority. And God has given us authority. God has given parents authority within the realm of our own households. And so it is not a matter of whether or not we will influence our children. It is a matter of how we will influence our children. Influence is inevitable. Whether we believe it or not, whether we know it or not, the world is watching. Whether we know it or not, our kids are watching us. They are taking cues from us on how to live. Your grandchildren are taking cues from you on how to live. They're watching. In Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me very quickly. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 13 and reading through verse 16. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless... How can it be made salty again? And so Jesus is speaking directly to the disciples. He is speaking to the church. He is speaking to us who are in Christ. You are the salt of the earth. We are to be preservers of the truth. We are to be those who give flavor to the world around us. And he says, it is no longer good for anything if it has lost its saltiness, if it has lost its taste. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You, verse 14, are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. So we are a city. We are people who have been saved by Christ. If we are in Christ, if we have repented of our sins and believed in Christ for salvation, then we have been set within the bounds of grace. And we cannot be hidden. So the world is watching. Nor, verse 15, does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men 
in such a way that they may see your good works. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with people seeing how good we are. It doesn't end with people seeing how we live and saying, now that's a good man. Now that's a good woman. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so the goal of Christian parenting, the goal of raising our children according to the way that the Bible tells us to raise our children is not so that the lady next door would say, what great parents we have next door. What great parents they are. But so that people would see our parenting and see Christ in our parenting. Here it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. God has given children to parents for the parents to steward the gift that God has given rather than to dismiss our children as a burden. Rather than to look at our children as something that's hindering us from doing what we really want to do. If God has given us children, then that is what we should be doing. We should be raising our kids. Not only are parents to assume responsibility in some passive sense, but we are to actively teach our children. We are to play an active role in our child's life. In order for children to obey or listen or give attention to, which is what this word children obey, it literally means give attention to. Listen to your parents. Obey them. In order for kids to do that, the parents must have something to say that's worth listening to. In Psalm 78 verses 1 through 4, the psalmist writes, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. And so here the psalmist has been told the truths of Scripture. And then he goes on and he says, We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. And so we should not hide from our children the truths of the Word of God, but we should actively teach them. We should actively tell our children of the, of the goodness and glory of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4-9 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Not half-heartedly, but diligently. You should teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so what we're being told here is that everything that we do should be geared toward teaching our kids about Jesus. It should all be geared toward teaching our kids how to live as those who honor Christ. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are, grace, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, we have this very simple command. Train up a child on the way he should go. Even when he is old, he shall not depart from it. And so over and over again, all throughout Scripture, Scripture assumes and commands for parents to be parents, for parents to raise our children, for parents to teach our children the things of the Lord. Secondly, Paul assumes that for children to obey their parents is right 
improper. Look again at Ephesians chapter one or chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For, for because this is right. It is right and proper for children to obey their parents. So much of what our culture tells us today is uh, that what has worked for centuries and centuries no longer works. That we need to adopt some new and better way of parenting. Some new and better way of doing life. Some new and better way of doing church. But what is grievous about this is what the world has to offer us as new and better isn't so new and better after all. But that we should go back to the old ways of training our children. We should watch the people who have gone before us and what they've done. Learning from the mistakes and also adopting what they've done right. And so for children to obey the parent is right. It is proper. It is God's design. God's design is for a man and a woman. One man and one woman to be bound together in the unity of love under the covenant of marriage. One to another until death parts their ways. God's design is for a man and a woman to come together under the bond of marriage, under the covenant of marriage, and to have children, to be fruitful and multiply. We see that in Genesis chapter 1 in the very beginning of Scripture. Having and raising children together and submitting themselves to Christ all along the way. God's design is for children to obey their parents so long as their parents assume responsibility for them. So as long as a child lives under the same roof as his or her parents, he is to obey his parents. And God's design is for a boy to be a boy and to be trained to grow into a man and for a girl to be a girl and to be trained to grow into a woman and to be trained that it is God's design for a man and a woman to find one another, to, uh, to join together in love, promising one another under the covenant of marriage that they will spend their rest, the rest of their lives together and to be fruitful and multiply. Third, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, that children are to honor their parents. It says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And so this word honor is different from the word obey. Obey is to listen to or to submit yourself to your parents. But to honor is to give respect to them. And so if you honor your parents, then you will obey them. If you respect them as you should, then you will obey them. If your children respect you as they should, then they will obey you. But respect is earned. Respect is something that God has given a father and a mother that a child should respect the parents. But parents also must earn that respect by loving their children, by training their children. And today... We have a society, we have a culture where kids want to be honored. Kids want to be heard. Kids want to be respected, but they don't want to honor. They don't want to respect and they don't want to listen. And so what we need today is to teach our kids, to teach the children in the church, to teach the children in the community, to teach the children in our households to love, honor, and respect their parents. To love, honor, and respect the authority that God has placed over them. J.C. Ryle, in his book that he wrote in 1860, entitled The Duties of Parents, wrote, Our hearts are like the earth on which we tread. Let it alone, and it is sure to bear weeds. If then you would deal wisely with your child, you must not leave him to the guidance of his own fallen will. Think for him. Judge for him. Act for him. 
just as you would for one who is weak and blind. But for pity's sake, give him not up to his own wayward tastes and inclinations. It must not be his likings and wishes that are consulted. He knows not yet what is good for his mind and soul, any more than what is good for his body. You do not let him decide what he shall eat and what he shall drink and how he shall be clothed. Be consistent and deal with his mind in like manner. Train him in the way that is scriptural and right and not in the way that he fancies. And today we have too many parents trying to act like the kids rather than kids trying to act like the parents. We have too many parents who have sold out and are trying to please their children rather than commanding their children to obey them and honor them. And so we must not allow the culture to dictate how we raise our children. We must not allow society to tell us what is right and proper, but instead consult Scripture to see what is right and proper. And here, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Honor your father and mother. And verse 1, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. So what is right and proper is for us as parents, for you as grandparents, to command your children and your grandchildren to obey you so far as you teach them Scripture. Not to listen to what the world has. It doesn't take us long to look around and see the waywardness of this generation. To look around and see just how fallen this society is. Many of our school systems teach evolution. The universities teach liberal and godless ideologies. The media pushes an agenda contrary to that of Scripture. Even many of our so-called churches today do not teach the gospel anymore. And so we need to be men and women, fathers and mothers whose intentions are clear and whose convictions are deeply rooted, that we will teach our children the Word of God, that we will raise our children within the context of the local church, that we will raise our children to be citizens of, this, of society who contribute to society and don't take from it, who contribute to work and don't take from it, who love the Lord, who honor the Lord, who honor their parents, who honor their grandparents, who honor those who have been placed in authority over them, and who teach their children to do the same. And so why is parenting so serious? Why is it something that we need to spend time looking at together? Well, first of all, because we want our children to be saved. We want our children. I have no greater desire for my children than that they would know the Lord. I would love for my kids to grow up and be doctors or to grow up and do something wonderful with their life. But most importantly, I want my children to know the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. The most important thing for my children is not that they get into, uh, into a, a, a major league sports. My greatest desire for my children is not that they get into an Ivy League college. My greatest desire for my children is that they get into the gates of heaven. We want our children to be saved. We want our children to know who Jesus is. To know Him fully. To know Him truly. To know Him and trust Him. Not just to know Him based upon what t-shirts tell them and what bumper stickers tell them, but we want our children to know Jesus Christ. We want our children to become godly parents of our grandchildren. So we are not just training our children to be adults, but we are training our children to then train our, our grandchildren. We want our children to be prepared to defend the faith, to defend what they stand firm on, to defend what we have taught them. We want our children... To know who they are. To know that our daughters are girls and our boys are boys. We want our kids to know who they are. And to not be confused by the wayward shifting of the world. But more importantly than that, we want our children to know whose they are. 
We want our children to know that they belong to God. That they are part of God's creation. That God has breathed them into creation and has given them life. And so God is the one who ultimately has authority over them. We want our children to know that. We want our children to know how deeply we love them. I want my children to wake up every day not having to wonder whether or not dad loves them. I want my children to wake up every day knowing that they have a father who loves them. That they have a father who cares for them. And that they have a mother who loves them and a mother who cares for them. And to lay their head down every night knowing that they're not going to go to bed abused or neglected, but that they are going to go to bed as one who is loved. And we should want our children to know that we love them, that we care for them. We should want our grandchildren to know that we love them and care for them. Let me show you just a few statistics gathered by Pew Research Center. It says that 57% of all American fathers view parenting as a core part of their identity. 57%. 46% of American fathers say that parenting seems to be enjoyable, that they enjoy what they're doing. Approximately 52% of all American fathers admit to finding it difficult to find work-life balance, saying that they wish that they could spend more time with their kids. As of a 2016 report, the average weekly time spent for a dad on parenting his children was eight hours. And this was up three times by the, by the 1965 report on how much time a father spent with their child. An average of 63% of American fathers, myself included, often struggle with feeling as though they're not doing enough or that they could be doing better or doing more. Right now, an average of 75%, 75% of children leave the church between the ages of 18 and 29. And so the reasons that the remaining 25% of children remain in the church, there are five reasons. One, those children, the 25% who remain in the church from ages 18 to 29, number one, they ate five out of seven of the meals together throughout the week as a family. So they had that family bond. They had unity. They had community within their family. Number two, they were invited and given opportunity to serve alongside their family within the church. And so they were not sent off to be a separate part of the church, but that they were invited to serve the church alongside them and to be a part of the church. Number three, they had at least one Bible study or family worship session per week at home. And so the parents are actively training their children at home. Number four, they were entrusted with responsibilities in the church and in the household. So they were not allowed to sit around and play video games all day at home, but they were actually given chores to do. They were not allowed to come into the church and sit on their phones all service, but they were taught to have responsibility within the church. And five, they had at least one Christian mentor outside of their family. So at least one person within the church came alongside them and said, you're not my son, you're not my daughter, you're not my grandchild, but I want you to understand that I love you. I want you to understand that I care for you. I want you to understand that I want to be an example for you. Secondly, our second point, how do we get healthy? So we see all around us that our generation has fallen, that our generation has neglected parenthood and treats children as a burden rather than as a blessing. But how do we get healthy? How do we become biblical parents? How do we teach others to become biblical parents? Look at verses 3 and 4. 
Children are called upon to obey and honor their parents. Verse 3, so that the purpose of calling children to obey their parents is so that it may be well with them and that they may live long on the earth. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so what do we need today? What do we need to do today to become biblical parents and to teach others to do the same? First of all, we need to revive again the parents' involvement in the lives of their children. We do not need part-time parents. We don't need parents who are lazy about their commitment. We need parents who are committed to raising their children. We need again today parents who are committed to rooting themselves deeply in the Word of God so that they can teach their children something that will last. In Isaiah chapter 40, we're told that everything else in this world will fade away, but that the Word of God will remain forever. And so if you want to give your, something, your children something that will last, don't give them money primarily. Don't give them food primarily. Give them primarily the Word of God. Give them all the essentials that a child needs. But first and foremost, make it your priority that you give your children the Word of God. And we need to tell our community that. And our grandparents need to tell their children that, that they need to raise their grandchildren in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Secondly, we need to get away from the culture's idea of right and wrong. We live in a day in which our scientists are unable to tell us whether or not a face mask even works to help prevent disease. Our scientists are unable to tell us what a boy is and what a girl is. Our scientists are unable to tell us where we come from what our origination point is, and yet they would have us to believe that all of our answers to life and death are found in science. But we, of course, know that all of our answers to the big questions of life and death are not found in anything of this world, but they're found in the Word of God. And so if we want our children to understand who they are and what they are, we need to teach them the Word. We need to get our kids back in church. Whether they're young or grown, we need to encourage our children to come to church, to be a part of the church. We need to get our grandchildren in church. Nearly 40% of all churchgoers have stopped going to church altogether since the COVID shutdowns of 2020. Nearly 40%. And in a recent poll that asked those 40% of churchgoers who have stopped going since 2020, if they had any intention of returning, they all said no. So we need to get serious about training our children. We need to get serious about training our own households to love the Lord. We need to get serious about training those who are in our church and teaching them to come to church and be a part of the church and of the importance of church, of the importance of coming together to sit under the preaching of the Word, to sing songs together, to pray together, to worship God together. And then we need to bring the gospel to our neighbors. We need to bring the gospel to our community. One of my favorite preachers, Vody Bauckham, talks of the four P's that a father is to be. First, a father is to be a prophet. One who foretells or speaks to his children what the word speaks. Secondly, he is to be a priest. As the priests in the Old Testament would stand before God on behalf of the people, fathers are called upon to stand before God on behalf of their family. To stand before God and plead with God that He would work in our families. Thirdly, fathers are to be providers. 
we are to make provision for our family. And provision does not mean that we're going to have the nicest car on the block. But provision does mean that we will provide our, ch- our children with the essentials that they need for life. And finally, fathers are to be protectors. The father who sends his wife to go check on the bumps in the middle of the night is not a man. He is a coward. The father is to be the protector of the household. The father is to be the one who is willing to put his life on the line for his children, to serve his wife and children, to love his wife and children. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 really quickly. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 verse 27. Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul would call us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. If our children watch us, if our children listen to what we say, if they watch what we watch, if they, uh, if they model the example that we've set before, him, before them, if our children watch us closely, will they see Christ or will they see the world? Will they see godliness or will they see godlessness? Will they see righteousness or unrighteousness? We are to be those who live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that's what verse 4 means. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, don't stir up your children. Don't tempt your children. Don't set before your children temptations to stray away from God. But in everything that you do, in everything that you say, in everything that you teach, teach your children to love the Lord. And that's what it says here. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul uses a very similar word. He says, fathers... Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So if we don't want our children to become discouraged, we want our children to be encouraged. We want our children to be encouraged that they can do wonderful things. But we also want our children to have hope. We want our children to not only be encouraged that they can do wonderful things, but we want them to have the hope that the things that they will do will not be because of their own strength. That the wonderful things that we teach our children that they can do, they can do them because of Christ who strengthens them. Hope without a source is hopeless hope. So we are to teach our children, we are to encourage our children and love them, all the while pointing them to Christ. As we come to a close this morning, and as our singers come forward for the invitation hymn, let me leave us with this final encouragement. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, let, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Fellow fathers and those of you who are grandfathers, those of you who are laboring to teach your children, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary in doing good. The 1906 hymn gives us encouragement. It says, Those he saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a a cost, He will hold me fast. And so when it feels like you're drowning, 
when it feels like parenthood is a burden, look to the one who will hold you fast. And if you've not yet repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, look to the one who will hold you fast. The things of this world will not hold you fast. The things of this world will not give you hope. So look to the one who will hold you fast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you that even in spite of my weaknesses, even in spite of my failures, that your word will go forth and accomplish exactly what you have intended for it to accomplish. (coughs) Father, I ask that beginning with me, that you would help those of us here this morning who are fathers, who are grandfathers, who are mothers, who are grandmothers, to be examples of godliness. Not to provoke our children, not to tempt our children, to leave you, but to encourage our children to look to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.